0: The National Association of State Controlled Substance Authorities, or NASCA, is providing this podcast as a service to its members, associate members, and others. But it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of NASCA policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by the NASCA Association. Views expressed by guests, are their own, and their appearance on this program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by the NASCA podcast host are those of the podcast host and do not necessarily reflect the view of NASCA or any of its officials. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our office at nasca.org. Welcome to the official podcast of NASCA, the National Association of State-Controlled Substance Authorities. Here you will find conversations, lectures, and thoughts on various topics involving controlled substances, leading experts sharing their knowledge and ideas on today's medications, dangerous drugs, and substance abuse. NASCA is an association of state government agencies, along with various stakeholders, who oversee controlled substances. Through this association, we work together to make our country, our world, a safer place. Welcome everyone to the show. I'm your host, Alan McGill. We have a very interesting program for you today. On today's show, we will be discussing a case that came out of Cameron County, Pennsylvania in October of 2020, involving a designer drug known as Etizolam. Atizolam is a type of benzodiazepine that is neither FDA-approved nor a controlled or scheduled drug. It has similar effects to Xanax or Valium and is easily obtainable on the internet. A number of fatal overdoses have occurred over the past couple of years involving this drug, but now we are seeing candy being coated with the deadly substance. And this is one such case. In an area where most would never expect, Cameron County is in north central Pennsylvania, about three hours from Pittsburgh, nestled in the Allegheny National Forest, where hunting and fishing are favorite activities. But the internet, the interstate transportation system, and home delivery have made it easy for people living in rural areas such as this to obtain lethal drugs, both controlled and non-controlled, without ever leaving their home. And that's what happened in this case when Pez candy coated with a atizolam was purchased over the internet and two young children nearly died after being given this deadly drug by a babysitter. Today's show is about this case. I interviewed the chief of police Dave Merritt, who investigated the case, and the Cameron County District Attorney, Paul Malays, who prosecuted the individuals responsible. It's a reminder to us all, no matter where we live, there is a drug problem. And children are, more often than we care to admit, the unwitting victims. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for being here today. I have, uh, of course, Paul Malize, uh, who is the prosecutor for Cameron County. And I have Chief Dave Merritt of the Emporium Police Department. And we're here to talk about a case that involves some tainted candy or PEZ cases, we commonly refer to it. And these two gentlemen were involved intimately in that case. And we wanted to have them on to have a discussion. I want to thank you both for being here today.
1: Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you. Let's start out actually with discussing what the drug is that was actually coating the Pez candy, and then we'll get into the actual investigation.
1: The actual drug itself is called etizolam, E T I Z O L A M, and there was a little bit of foot shuffling going on and confusion at first because at the time of the initial arrest, about. I think three or four hundred pills were sent to the Erie Crime Lab, and what the lab tech did was take eight of those pills because there were eight different colors and test one of each. And the report indicated the contents contained or consisted of etizolam. Then there was a comma, a benzodiazepine. Okay, now that kind of confused things from the very beginning for us because we were. Laypersons thinking this is a benzodiazepine. So we charged the defendants with this particular crime. As it worked out and we it came to be known, and we hired an expert, Dr. Brian Negrini, etazolam is really an elite of its own. It is a benzodiazepine type drug, it is not a benzodiazepine.
0: So it's not a scheduled drug or controlled substance.
1: That's correct. And it, and it was never approved here in the Commonwealth or in the United States for any kind of treatment. And the bottom line is it's a designer drug because it does not fit within any category.
0: Let's talk about the investigation itself. Let's start with how that started. And I, I would assume, Chief, that you had the first report of something happening. So if you could describe maybe how things started.
2: Uh, I guess before the initial call that morning of the main incident, we had received information that an individual in St. Mary's was purchasing these, as they claim, synthetic benzodiazepines, and he was getting them online.
0: And did that uh, come from? Did that come from an informant? How did you? How did you? Yes, guys from the that? CI was giving information to St. Mary's City Police. Uh, did they call it metazolam, or did they call it a Benzo or any of that, or was there a nickname that they associated with it?
2: Uh, They just said that it was a synthetic benzodiazepine. And the person that had told them that had had a seizure from it up in St. Mary's. And probably a week before this incident, I spoke to the individual because he lives in Emporium as well. And he told me about it, said he'd never take another one of those again and had said that, you know, he was getting them from Mr. Lane.
0: Let let me ask you, Chief, because I'm curious Uh, you just so the. Everyone who's listening understands too, because the three of us know the area pretty well, and I was I was the task force coordinator for a while. But Emporium and St. Mary's, you know, we talk about those two towns. Just explain the kind of area we're talking about.
2: Very rural. Uh, Cameron County has a population of about 5,000. I think Elk County is, and that's where St. Mary's is beside us. I think there might be around thirty to 40,000 in the whole county.
0: And this is mostly hunting and fishing and national mostly forest video. type area, right? Yes. So, how did this individual? Did you say they were buying them online? Is that how he was getting yes, them? Yes, they're
2: ordering on uh,
0: dark web. And so, you got the information, and then how did the case progress from there?
2: It was the morning, I believe, October fifteenth of twenty twenty. I got a call from the school principal at the elementary school regarding some children that came to school that morning exhibiting some very odd behavior, and that they were worried about what these, what was wrong with these kids. I went over to the school that morning right away. Kids, of course, were in the nurse's office. The nurse was, you know, monitoring their vitals and trying to figure out what was going on with them. And the older girl, I would believe, was, correct me, Paul, I think maybe eight, seven, eight years old. Seven, yes. uh, Was sitting there on the bed in the nurse's office trying to eat her cereal. She couldn't hit her mouth, couldn't really talk. She dripped, like, all her cereal and milk down in front of her. Her pupils were dilated almost the whole size of her iris. And the younger sister was sitting there beside her. And I'd asked her, you know, if they've eaten anything, taken anything, what, you know, what was going on. They had told the principal that they stayed with their Uncle Brady the night before.
0: And, of course, you knew that name from the report you had gotten from the informant in St. Mary's.
2: Yes. And the younger girl had said that, you know, Uncle Brady gave them some adult candy. Did he call it
0: adult candy or was it, did he just disguise it as candy?
2: I'm assuming to the little girl, he told them that it was adult candy, because that's the terminology she used with me. Okay. And at the time, we didn't know that they were actual PEZ pills. The ones that we got information is they look like a, a Xanax comes in like a bar shape. Okay. And we had thought that the kids associated it with PEZ because it looked similar. And maybe that's what they had taken. And okay. I mean, of course, right away, then I called for EMS to come take the kids to the hospital. And then later on, shortly after that, they'd taken the other one. It was from that point on that we applied for a search warrant for the apartment and eventually hit the apartment with a search warrant later that evening. That's when we discovered that no, they were actually Pez Pez candies because Mr. Lane kept referring to them to us when we talked to him about it as they
0: they are real pez. Did he and confess that he that they were tainted with or adulterated with something else?
2: Yes yeah he explained to us what they were, how he had bought them off the internet, and he actually had them in Pez, you know, the pez dispensers, and on the bottoms of the dispensers, he had a piece of tape written on the tape was the milligram that was supposed to be associated with whichever ones he put in there.
0: What was the milligram?
2: And I believe some were one point something and some were two point five milligram they had
1: labeled. I see. Can I interrupt everybody a second. Sure. This might help some police officers down the road. As a district attorney, I'm familiar with uh, horizontal gaze and I'm familiar with vertical gaze and For the first time, I heard of circular gaze and and these girls exhibited it. I uh, never heard of it before. Dave, would you explain what you saw? You said their pupils were obviously uh, not normal, but explain what their eyes or the
2: one older a girl's eyes looked like and what she was doing. Yeah. It was almost as if her eyes were rolling in a circular motion. She couldn't focus on anything where normally you'd see an eye, you know, move side to side. This was kind of going in a circle pattern.
0: Is it like when someone is looking around when you're looking in a circular way around a room or just the iris itself? I wouldn't say looking around a whole room, but a small circular pattern. Almost like they couldn't stay still or in one spot in her eye. Is that yes, what you mean? like she couldn't focus on one
2: thing. Her eye was trying to focus but wasn't able to.
0: Did Dr. Negrini or anybody else talk about that being a normal symptom of taking a Tazolam?
1: He testified, he explained that this is a very rare event, uh, this circular nystagmus, and that it is a sign that the nerves have been overloaded with this particular drug, and I'm assuming others as well. I'm not familiar enough to to say that, but that this is a precursor. When you see circular nystagmus, the next step, if it's at a stage where it's witnessed when they have just taken it or taken extra in between, the next step, things start shutting down. The heart, the children can't breathe and so forth. This was a very, very traumatic, serious event when the the circular nystigmas occurred. That's the way he testified.
0: I don't want to jump ahead too much, but how did these girls survive? Because it sounds like they were in pretty dire straits at this point.
1: It was a miracle. They were both taken via ambulance. Their oxygen level was 92%, which the doctor indicated the breathing rate had suppressed. So their breathing rate went way down. Now, their kids, they're tougher than nails. So the ambulance personnel gave each of the kids administered oxygen to each of the children on the way. And their oxygen levels within, by the time they got to the hospital, which is a half hour from Emporium, Cameron County, where this occurred, their oxygen levels were 99%. They were doing excellent. But it's question of flushing it out, liquids, IVs. There isn't an Narcan for this stuff. It's just sit tight, wait, and, you know, hope to God that they start reversing and come out of it, which both of them did by 3 or 4 in the afternoon. I think it was 4 o'clock that they were discharged. The grandmother was the custodian of both kids, and she stayed up all night with the one girl very much afraid that she was going to fall asleep and never, ever wake up. But by the following morning, both girls were back to normal.
0: Well, Chief, when you were at the house and he was, he had confessed to, or at least had disclosed to you that he had this Metazolam Pez, did he describe how it was tainted? Was it Metazolam that was pressed to look like Pez or was it actual Pez candy that somehow had it mixed in?
2: He was saying it was actual Pez candy that had it had a coating of it that they had chemically coated these candies with the etazolam.
0: Now, did he say whether or not he had whether he had purchased from that person in the past? How did how did he recognize that he was going to get anything that was actual etazolam?
2: If I remember correctly, he had stated that he had bought the and they they call them Zanny bars, as I think the what they their street name what they call them. But he had bought those from them,
0: and now when you say Zanny bars. Are you talking about a Taslim that's made to look like the Xanax? Yes, typical bars. So, yes. so he's not he's not calling the Pez Zanny bars. He's talking about no. buying another product, but then he wanted to buy these.
2: Yes, he had met somebody, and from actually Potter County. I'm not sure. I I, th- I want to say he might have been in jail with him for a little bit on a different incident. And this person had told him about ordering this stuff online and how to get on the, the dark web and find it. And that this individual is ordering all kinds of drugs from the dark web. So that's where he had gotten the information to actually look this up and find
0: it. Did he ever say why he gave the children the adult candy? He said to calm them down. Now, why why were they with him? Because he was uh, the uncle, right?
2: No, he's not any relation. But that's what the kids had called Him at that time, only because I'm thinking the parents, I guess you got to put it in perspective the family dynamics with that family. The two girls and one older brother who's like 10, all stayed with their biological dad because biological mother was in jail. And biological dad started dating a girl from Emporium. They had one child together and he had moved down here with her. So he had custody of his three children plus a newborn with the new girlfriend, as well as her maybe one- or two-year-old kid. Okay. And new girlfriend, you know, is from here, knew this family. They so how, are maybe, how do they wind up at Brady's place? They live maybe a block across the street. Okay. They don't live very far from them. So they go to Brady's, and they want to have—Brady lives there with his mother and a younger brother. And the story gets kind of mixed between who you ask, which ones. And that was part of the whole conspiracy of this was who actually was in charge to watch the kids, who saw the kids, the biological father and girlfriend say, we paid Brady's mother to babysit and we took the kids over there and then had left, leaving her to watch the kids. And she, you know, then says, well, I wasn't there that Brady watched the kids.
0: So mom and dad take their kids over. So that Brady's mother can watch the kids and pays them to babysit, pays her to babysit the kids. But she claims that she wasn't there for a period of time and lets Brady babysit them. And then he gives them the Atazolam or the Pez candy. Yes. I see.
2: He says the girls are running around and they're just being, they're being too wound up, too loud, making too much noise.
0: And so he thought it was a good idea to give them some designer drugs. Yes. After you had, so how much did you recover from his house at the time? Do you know how much he bought? Actually, let's start with that. Do you know how much, how many the candies that he had actually purchased?
2: Uh, one of the packages I think was
0: still, still sealed
2: in total. I think we counted, uh, I could be wrong, 900, right around 900 Pez candies.
0: Was he selling the, you know, as well? Was he selling the Pez candy to other folks?
2: Yes. And I think that's why he had the dispensers labeled because he was, essentially selling them a Pez dispenser full of these.
0: So that was a, a good way to defeat law enforcement when you see a, a Pez dispenser.
2: Yeah. And on that note, later on, we find out that PSP responded to a overdose out just outside of the borough. Individuals overdosed. They don't know what on, you know, possibly heroin. They find a pill bottle in his vehicle. It's full of Pez candy. And they can't figure out why he's got Pez candy in a pill container but you know, just put it back and move along because it's Pez candy. So we know that, and you know, now hindsight, that guy might've been overdosing on these because it's going to do the same thing as a, as heroin would do. It's going to, you know, slow them down, cause drowsiness.
0: Did you ever have an indication of how much he was selling it for? No. So after you recover this, how many of the, pills did you say you you said there was
2: all together i think we got like 900 out of the entire they were everywhere in the apartment okay some so... still in, in sealed bags some in dispensers i don't think there's a room in the apartment that did not contain some pez candy
0: wow and it was all tainted to your knowledge
2: no because the one boy was given uh straight pez candies I yeah any he... of the pez candy that were not in the original pez wrappers there were several because, of course, he was buying Pez dispensers to put these in. So with that new Pez dispenser comes some regular Pez.
0: So then you, you arrest them. And let's, let's talk about the case itself as it goes through court. Give us an idea of, of what your approach was on, because you had quite a few players now in this.
1: Well, we did. Four total. The prime defendant, Brady Lane, it was a very, uh, what, what do you want to call it? Uh, Dave, cooperative individual on the night of the arrest, and he revealed some things that were mind-boggling. Let's back up and talk a little bit about the knowledge gained by the police departments involved with this. On the evening of the arrest, Dave and uh, another officer took Mr. Lane to the, took him aside first that evening, and talked with him a little bit, and uh, essentially he was hiring a kite and he spilled the beans about everything. He explained that he bought these off the internet, very knowledgeable young man. Unfortunately, his, uh, let's see, his motivations were misdirected. Old? Oh, how old
0: is he? Just in, to give an a perspective. Uh,
1: 22 or three.
0: Days. Okay.
1: Yeah. He's very young. Um, Early 20s. His, okay. And, uh, he explained that he purchased these and had them shipped to his house. Uh, he knew the chemical structure of them. When he is taken to the jail, the jail after he's arrested in the rain, will not accept him because, you know, he didn't have the the circular and the stigma like the child did, but he was obviously impaired. And they wanted a guarantee from a doctor that he was not going to overdose while they had him in possession in their jail. We do not have our own jail. He basically spilled his guts the whole way over. And when he goes in for care to the hospital, because they won't accept him at the jail, and Dave and another officer are there, and he's there for medical treatment, and he says to the doctor, the Tazlam." and I, I got him off the internet, and I, I took one when I got them, and I had a seizure. So I took five more, and Wait, he, he
0: took one, had a seizure, and he decided to take five more?
1: Yep. The next time I took five, nothing happened, so I took seven more and got high. And okay, so
0: I'm, I'm just you trying can. to get my head wrapped around this. So oh, he takes one, and he has a seizure. Yeah. And he no, doesn't take six. one for a while, and then he takes five more later, or he takes five more right after he has the seizure?
1: No, no, another day. Okay. We were led to believe it was another time. And so he took five more, nothing happened to it. So he took seven more and got high, a total of 12. Now, on the way, he's also explaining well, that's not true. I'm sorry. His phone gets dumped, and it becomes evident that he had engineered a way to strip the etazolam off some of these pills and make some other pills, pez candies, even more potent. And we have evidence that he was doing that as. On his phone, as time went on.
0: So so um, the idea would be that he purchases a bunch of Pez candy that's coated with a Tazolam. It's not potent enough for him. So he takes what he has and strips it off so it can coat in a higher dosage regular Pez candy. Is that right?
1: Exactly. So we get to trial and here's uh, here's what occurs. First of all, four people were charged with this. And not having had the experience of co-conspiracy, I made a grievous error in allowing the main player, Mr. Lane, to plead guilty to aggravated assault for these kids and sent them off to state for four to eight years. And what should have been done with this conspiracy is all four would have been tried. At the same time, should not have given one a plea and all four would be present at the same time. And any statement made, very important evidentiary thing, by any of these co conspirators would have been admissible against all co conspirators. So, you know, we went to trial on a conspiracy theory and
0: we were unable. Well, to- I don't want to interrupt you, but let me, because I think so far what we've talked about is really Brady Lane taking and giving adult candy. Tainted pez to a couple of children. So, how did you arrive? Because I I don't think it's come out yet. How did you arrive? With there are others involved in any of this. Dave,
2: Dave I'm going to let you address that. Okay. Hey, so, through investigating everything from that night forward, you know, we try to figure out how these kids ended up there. Who was all there that night? Who saw them? Who, who was anybody who would have seen these kids in the condition that they were in? Okay. Uh, we then find out from Brady. Brady says. Well, biological dad and girlfriend, they were there. I told them I gave them something to calm the kids down, and they just laughed. And we're like, did they ever ask what it was? He said, no. So we have now, you know, biological dad is there. Girlfriend is there. Nobody calls an ambulance. They see these kids can't stand up. They're falling down. They're trying to write on his whiteboard. It's on the wall.
0: And this is the night before, before they actually go to the hospital, right? Or before they go to the school. Yes. Okay, And when
2: interviewing the biological dad, he tells us this is B.S. We paid Kim, the mother of Brady, to babysit these kids. We weren't even there. Well, then the finger pointing starts because nobody wants to take credit for knowing any of this was going on. As you know, I wasn't there. They were there. Nobody nobody ever denies that these kids were drugged. Or that they knew just that they weren't there. It wasn't their responsibility to call for help or to do anything for these children.
0: So was the mother who was paid, was she there? Do you have information that she was there, present when Brady gave him the pills?
2: There was nobody there when Brady gave them to them, but they were there when Brady informed them of what he had done and observed these kids' behaviors.
0: So, Paul, your theory was, or I guess your idea of charging them was that they were there even if it was after the fact and did nothing to notify ambulatory services or anybody else that these children were that had been poisoned essentially
1: that's that's correct and that theory was none other than uh my dear friend and our great uh helper from the drug task force fred uh myers and that was something that i think we had If we could try them all together, because the main player, Brady, had made the statements that uh, he told the parents about this, or he didn't tell them what it was. He just gave them something to calm them down. The 10 year old brother was not being, shall I say, loud and disruptive as the two little girls were that evening. So Brady gave him a regular pets candy. And uh, he said he witnessed his 10 year old boy testify and he witnessed his sister laying on the floor, laying laying with her arms, and she couldn't get up. She had fallen down while she was trying to write on a whiteboard and whatnot. He said that, you know, my dad came in and went to bed, and I don't know if he saw him, so we couldn't establish it from him, but we could not establish the knowledge imputed to him as a co-conspirator for the crime of endangering welfare of children and conspiracy to commit aggravated assault against these two children. Because the main player had pled guilty and we could not use his statement, Uh, we could have, in hindsight, brought him to, subpoenaed him and brought him to court. We knew he was not going to be a friendly witness, but my error was in letting him plea at all. We should have proceeded so we had all of his statements in. He had spilled his guts the most, implicating all the other people, the parents and his own mother. That was the fourth person there. That saw all this, and she, by the way, said, and we got this into evidence to the police officer, "quote I told them they should do something about those kids." End quote. And that statement was directed at the children's parents. But the judge felt there was not sufficient evidence to establish a conspiracy. You got to have an agreement, and we alleged the agreement was the failure to seek any kind of medical care. Because number one, the father of these children had a warrant out on him. If he'd taken them to the hospital, the police would be summoned, which they always go to these facilities whenever that happens. And he knew that if he did that, they'd pick him up on the warrant. Now I could not get that into evidence. That would have been too prejudicial. So the mother had been uh, Brady had been arrested a year and a half prior to this. I'd say it was less than a year prior to this, when she phoned The ambulance and they came and got Brady because he had a seizure. And now we know the seizure was from (laughs) the Tazalam. Well, when the police walk in behind the emergency personnel, she's got drugs all over and she gets charged. So she wasn't going to call. And uh, this just kept snowballing. But the bottom line is. When you try a conspiracy, have everybody there or get agreement in writing from whoever's going to plea on what it is they're going to testify to.
0: And it sounds, of course, like nobody really cared about the kids. He gives them the atazolam, maybe not necessarily to injure them, but certainly to get them to calm down. But then after they're clearly impaired and in, in peril, he doesn't either recognize it or doesn't care. Because he's afraid and and nobody does anything, including the mom.
2: That morning, the girlfriend of the biological dad takes the two girls to the school bus. And that's when we find out later on is these girls had eaten more of these candies, we believe, in the morning. Because they were everywhere in the apartment. They were just laying about. They They were everywhere.
0: So the girls just did it on their own or is there indication that he gave them more?
2: We think in the morning they had them left over from the night before or found them laying there. And 8-1, the oldest one, when she gets on the bus, when she gets, I mean, it's probably a 15-minute cops bus ride from where she gets on the bus till she gets to school. But when girlfriend puts her on the bus that morning, she literally has to take her hand and place it on the railing of the opening of the bus and pretty much push her onto the bus. She can barely walk and they have to carry her into the school.
1: Uh, Dave, tell them about the email.
2: Then right after girlfriend puts the children on the bus. She goes back and emails the school, the teacher, and says, you know, hey, she wasn't feeling well. She was up. She didn't sleep well last night. So if she wants to come home, make sure you call me right away.
0: And is this Brady's mother or is this the girlfriend?
2: This is the girlfriend of the biological father.
0: Now, did they recover from his giving the PES the night before and then they get redosed? Is that is that how it goes? Or how long does, I guess, how long does a Tazlam stay in your system? Would it have been something where they already would have had some in their system from the... They would have
2: had some in there from the night before yet. And then if they ate another one in the morning... That's I when guess, it
0: compounded it.
2: Yes. To give an idea, according to Dr. Negrini, the TASLAM is actually prescribed in China or Japan, Italy, India to treat anxiety and sleep disorders. But in a doses of 0.25 milligram up to one is the maximum. And if he would have given them just one Pez candy would have been 2.5 milligrams, which would have been easily double what an adult would have gotten, if not triple. According to him, it, I mean, it's, it's not a benzodiazepine, but as we learned in other designer drugs is these people chemically create this stuff that's, close but you know might have one leg different one thing different to, as to circumvent the law we learned this with the bass salts sure they we're making the bass salts then you know it APV. well then that was outlawed so they made an MPV.
0: yeah and they were doing the same thing with fentanyl as well but according to them the
2: atazolam is 10 times more potent than diazepam or valium so to give these you know this girl might have been 57 pounds 60 pounds, if tops. And according to him, to Dr. Negrini, this will last 30 minutes to two hours as the average peak level in their their system and can take eight hours to wear off. The recommended dosage, they would have had twice that, if not more.
1: Bottom line is it's a miracle that those two girls didn't
0: die. What was the outcome of the trial? What did they get sentenced to? Let's start with Brady first. What happened with him?
1: Well, he got a 40 to 8-year sentence for aggravated assault, and the aggravated assault was for one child. That's what that called for. Four to eight offered to him, and he accepted it. The conspiracy to commit aggravated assault and endangering welfare of children charges against the other three co-defendants were dismissed at the conclusion of the common law's case by the judge because he felt there was not sufficient evidence to establish an agreement between the three that were tried.
0: Did they wind up pleading guilty to another type of charge?
1: Well, there were two of them were found guilty of possession. At the time they were arrested, following day after this uh, evening of trouble, they both possessed the paraphernalia and/or drugs, and or drugs, and it wasn't it was another drug, both of them, and uh, they pled guilty to those at the conclusion of the Commonwealth's case and were sentenced.
0: How about you, Chief? Anything you want to add?
2: It was a very educational, the whole process, the from learning about these things and what people are getting. I guess when I posted this on our Facebook page about these Pez candies, because of course, now this was the 15th of October. What's coming up is Halloween. You know, one of the biggest things that we preach to the kids is, you know, have your parents check your candy. And here we have a case where this individual has essentially Pez candy and Pez dispensers that to these kids, other than the one saying it tasted sour, so he spit it out, it's going to be a regular looking candy that a parent may not find suspicious.
0: I want to thank you both for being on the show today. I I think this is a fascinating case and I really appreciate you spending the time with me to discuss this. This will go out to our members and hopefully they'll get to learn something too, not just from, you know, our own perspectives as professionals, but as members of communities. I really appreciate you guys sitting down and taking the time with me today.
1: I might add these websites all sell it. You can sell the art. You can buy the actual pez candy. You can put pez etazolam in the Google search, hit enter and there it is. It pops up. And it's um, not reached epidemic proportions here. It was isolated. We had one person dealing with it. I will add that we have the DEAs and Elk, Cameron, and uh, McKean counties have collectively sent a letter to the Department of Health, copied the uh, sentencing people, sent it to our legislators, and asked them to please, please categorize this not as a designer drug, which involves a significant amount of proof from an expert, classify it as a controlled substance, and uh, put it in the sentencing guidelines. Unfortunately, at this point, uh, over a year later, it's fallen on deaf ears, but we're trying.
0: Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. I appreciate you being here.
2: All right, sir. Good talking to you. Have a good one. Yes, and thank you for having us.
0: I'm your host, Alan McGill. On behalf of the Executive Board of NASCA and our Education Committee, I want to thank you for joining us. The music for this podcast was provided by Joseph McDade. And if you like Joe's music, please visit josephmcdade.com. You can support Joe on Patreon. You can also find all of our episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever podcasts can be found. I also want to thank our platinum, gold, and silver sponsors. Without them, we could not provide educational opportunities such as this podcast. NASCA also invites you to join us at our annual training conference, where we educate through networking, exchange of ideas, and by experiencing some of the best speakers on current topics and trends involving controlled substances. To learn more about NASCA, our conferences and educational programs, visit our website, nascsa.org. That's nasca.org. I hope you learned something and moved forward. Please join us again on our next podcast.